everyone, and welcome back to the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. I am your host, Vinny Russo, along here once again with my co-host, Dr. Erin Stansfield. Hello. We're going to shift gears from all of the conventional fitness narrative you hear on most fitness podcasts, as our main emphasis lies in preventative healthcare, adopting a holistic approach to nutrition, and challenging the traditional views on various fitness topics. Our mission with this podcast is to serve as your beacon guiding you on a journey towards achieving optimal health. In today's podcast, we're going to do just that because we're going to discuss a taboo topic in medicine, which is the use of anabolic steroids and whether you actually tell your doctor or not. But before we dive into this and let um, Dr. Aaron educate you all on this topic, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors of the podcast, Legion Athletics. Uh, One thing that I really like about this company is that they... They don't use any proprietary blends, which means that they tell you exactly how much of the ingredient you're getting per product. Um, So if you want to try out Legion or let's just say you already do use Legion and you want a discount code, uh, use code RUSSO, R-U-S-S-O, for 20% off your order. Um, Dr. Aaron, one more shout out. Hold on. (laughs) I know you're itching to talk about this, Um, but we got to shout out Shannon Miller um, for sharing our podcast on our Instagram story. So Shannon, thank you so much for doing that. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's dive into this. And um, I really just want to start with the basics. Um, so do you think that there are a lot of people using performance-enhancing drugs, in particular anabolic steroids, mainly in the general population? Um, well, I think that's a difficult question, right? Because uh, the epidemiology of use has been difficult to establish. Um, Most of the studies look at um, questionnaires given to patients um, that aren't that reliable. Um, But there's been estimates of the prevalence being anywhere from 1% to 15% in the U.S. population. Um, A review done by the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism estimated that the worldwide prevalence was estimated at 1% to 5%. And, um, you know, given that there's a lot of social media influence, I think younger and younger people are getting into it. Um, For example, teenagers age 14 to 22%, the prevalence has been estimated at um, about 2.2% of males and 1% of females. So we see... Um, people getting into it uh, at a younger uh, age. I think really the point for us clinically as um, physicians is that there's probably a subset of our patient population that might be using and maybe might not be telling us, right, because the prevalence seems to be quite high. Um, And then, you know, or there might be patients that are using and, and do tell us, um, but I think for the most part, a lot of them aren't going to be very forthcoming about their use. Uh, what about your experience with uh, on the uh, nutrition and training side of things? Uh, well, first and foremost, if you're joining our team, you got to express that to me, right? Like my thing is, is like, I'm not going to discriminate whether you use it or you don't. I just need you to be real with me and I need you to understand the risks involved if you are choosing to do such a thing. But when it comes to like nutrition and training, uh, with nutrition, steroids are obviously going to impact the the physiology of the individual, um, which means that they're probably going to grow some muscle and increase their fat metabolism, which will have effects on the diets. So that needs to be taken into consideration when I'm creating your diet plan. And also with training, um, I mean, the way that I see it is that you'll probably get stronger before you actually look bigger. Um, It's going to come on a little bit quicker than the size. And I think 
you know, if your joints, tendons, and ligaments, if they haven't been subjected to that new type of weight, uh, you, you run risk of injury uh, pretty severely. So um, I think if you are using that with training, you got to put more of the emphasis on proper technique than so much how much weight you're going to throw around the gym. Uh, but but speaking of that, um, why do you think like s- someone will go and they'll tell their trainers, but they won't tell their doctors? Like they're okay with telling the trainer, but the doctor they're they're afraid to say it to. Well, I mean, this is speculation, but I think there's a general mistrust of physicians, um, and especially after COVID, right, um, where there was a lot of confusing messages. I think um, people in general just uh, have a, a distrust in the medical profession, and I think a lot of users may think that physicians might be the worst source of steroid information also, right? Um, You probably feel more comfortable talking to your trainer who may be a user themselves. And to be honest, um, I I can kind of agree with their skepticism. I think that there needs to be more training in medical school about um, anabolic steroids. Um, Again, it is a taboo topic. Um, However... Go, Go ahead. ahead. I was gonna, no, I was just going to just cut you off, and I was going to say, do you think it has to do something with like them feeling very comfortable with their trainers because their trainers might support it and say like, oh, what do you want, and da da da, and where a doctor they might feel like they're looking down on them. Yeah, I I do think that there's like that a judgment. Ju- yeah, there's that yeah. judgment piece where somebody might not feel comfortable. Um, telling their physician also you know a lot of the use um, might not be legal and and so there's that there's a legal implication too Um, I I really think though as physicians and on the clinical side that we do need to know these things right so my take in general is I try not to judge my patients Uh, I you know have competed myself and have been around competitors obviously have been aware of use um, by fellow competitors Um, and so I think the more forthcoming you are with the people who are taking care of you, um, the more they're going to be able to discuss the risks and benefits. Um, and that way you can make a better assessment of whether, um, you know, you're making the best decision for your health. Um, but really I think there needs to be more awareness of the risks out there. Um, and you know, if you are going to, do something like this, I think you really need to try to mitigate or lower the risk. And I would add that more is not always better, especially in when it comes to anabolics, right? Um, yeah. yeah, what do you think? Um, well, t- I mean, when, when clients disclose that they're using steroids, um, I, I go into it and I need to, I, I have to tell myself, because you just mentioned it too, <clears throat> I can't judge them, right? So I got to go into it with some empathy, try to see where they're standing focus on their health and safety, and then obviously highlight the educational aspect of what's going on because they need to be informed, right? So it's crucial not to judge those clients because if you come off with a judgmental attitude, it might get rid of the trust. So if you don't have that attitude, it might foster even more initial trust. So then you actually tell me the whole entire story, not just like, yeah, I'm using this, that. No, you're using this, that, and the other thing, right? Like you're going to leave that out. Uh, but as the conversation goes on, it needs to really reiterate the importance of, you know, health and safety. And one of my things is like, yo, always go get a regular medical checkup. Like we need to monitor you. Um, and plus, if we catch it early, it's easier to fix instead of not so much. Right. Right. Um, but the but like you mentioned, the potential risk needs to really, really be talked about um, yeah. because they need to be well informed 
and they need to understand the potential consequences that could come with it. Uh, my favorite thing, though, what, in terms of like tackling this, would be having a team approach. So involving other healthcare professionals while you're doing this to really just cover all ends, like an endocrinologist because they're a hormone specialist, even a mental health expert because it has some effect on that. Um, but if we could have this team together, uh, we could provide the specialized guidance and support that is related to the hormonal balance and potential psychological issues. Um, but that's you know kind of where I go. So what do you tell your patients about um, th the risks of actually taking gear? Well, first off, I want to say that I agree with you. I think a multidisciplinary approach is the best approach and finding somebody that you feel comfortable with expressing, you know, that you might be using anabolic steroids is probably going to be your best bet. And that is mostly because then you give the clinician to discuss the risks. And I think the most immediate risk um, and one that doesn't get talked about enough, I think, is when you are competing and you're using, for example, diuretics on top of anabolics and even something like testosterone, um, you know, you have increased red blood cell volume and increased viscosity. And then if you're using a diuretic, plus you're, um, you know, probably on some kind of water manipulation, you can put yourself at risk, um, not only for severe dehydration, but um, there can be a lot of electrolyte imbalances and um, some of these electrolyte imbalances can be so severe that they can lead to heart arrhythmias. And that's how um, people, you know, end up in the ER, you know, after they might collapse backstage or might have an issue backstage. Um, a lot of the ER visits are, are issues that, that come from um, a perfect storm, if you will, of, of use and um, of diuretics, essentially. Yeah, and, and just I know we had a conversation a couple uh, days ago about this because you, you taught me something I didn't really know. Um, and it was about like diuretics that are potassium sparing and how I initially thought because it's sparing, you know, an electrolyte, it's probably healthier than ones that aren't. But then you showed me the counter of that. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, so um, I think that, you know, in the, the bodybuilding community, um, we look at potassium sparing diuretics as, um, well, you're so low on electrolytes, let's spare your potassium. But I think you really have to evaluate the entire situation. Like, where are you at with your fluid status? Um, you know, how, how much are you using of that diuretic? Um, what your what your medical history shows? And um, really, the, the reason I'm saying all these things is because, again, um, even though you're using a potassium sparing uh, diuretic, you might be at risk for hyperkalemia, and that could lead to a heart arrhythmia that is um, fairly dangerous. And so you want to be very careful. In general, I would say if you can avoid diuretics, I would definitely avoid it and make sure your diet's on point. And if you need to do um, some water manipulation, um, that's fine. Uh, but diuretics can get very dangerous depending on um, what other things you're doing um, and and where you where you are at um, physically, right? Um, yeah. So you have to be very careful. Yeah, with especially with the heart, with the sodium potassium pump, um, it, when you have an over concentration of potassium, it's throwing that all off, which then yeah. leads to those heart arrhythmias that that you mentioned earlier. Um, I will say though, if you need to use a diuretic to get on stage, you're not ready, like. You should be 
you should be <laughs> you should be there uh, before the stage anyway, um, and just maybe a little water manipulation to help. Um, but that was the immediate risks, right? Um, sorry, we went off on a little diuretic rant, but um, I'm concerned with with the long term risks because when a client's on board, like this is this is where I go. I tell them about their long term risks because I feel like they need to understand, like, hey. You might be in the moment with your vanity right now, which is perfectly fine, but you got to understand down the road, what would you want more vanity or health, right? So if you want, uh, if you can, please just go in a little bit more with the long-term use yeah. risks. So I'm just going to touch on some of the major um, organ systems, essentially, um, that I would be concerned about immediately. Obviously, there there can be others, um, but I just want to put that out there. But the first thing I think about. Um, is the cardiovascular risk, right? So um, if you are using anabolic steroids, occasionally um, you can get increased blood pressure. Um, and so you should always, you know, I always tell patients just in general, it's good to have blood pressure cuff at home just for general monitoring, check your blood pressure occasionally. But especially if you are uh, on some um, medication or drug that could alter that blood pressure. Um, so signs of increased blood pressure, if you don't have a blood pressure cuff at home, um, could be headaches. Um, so just, uh, benign things, right. Um, sometimes nosebleeds. Um, but again, you know, I would advise to be checking your blood pressure pretty regularly. Um, longer term use, um, obviously can affect your lipid panel. Um, so LDL numbers, for example, tend to um, increase um, and you get decreases in HDL, which is the good cholesterol that tends to be protective. Um, I really think there was a good uh, a compelling paper by Dr. Escalante, um, who is a bodybuilder himself and um, actually looked at um, autopsy reports from bodybuilders, um, the N, if you will, so the study population was quite small, but these uh, were patients that they were able to um, get a hold of the actual autopsy report um, after they died. Um, these bodybuilders were anywhere from you know their 30s all the way into their 40s, so fairly young. Um, but uh, what was seen in their autopsy reports was um, a left ventricular thickening. Um, and that was pretty consistent across the board. Now, I will mention that um, this is obviously an association, right? The, the numbers are so small, this is kind of, it's just an observation. It doesn't mean causation, um, but that just begs the question that we need more data in this area, right? Um, and unfortunately, that data is kind of hard to come by. There's not too many uh, people that are going to volunteer their use yeah Yeah, niche population yeah definitely i think we are getting more information though um and um you know uh, people are starting to come forward and we are seeing more um use um admitting to use at least um in escalante's paper he says that the prevalence um was anywhere from 20 to 60 percent in bodybuilders alone so that's pretty good majority of bodybuilders um, mm-hmm. where we could be collecting some of this data. Um, I think it's more than that, to be honest with you. Yeah, probably. I'm going like it, 80, 85%. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask you what your thoughts were about like 
um, what you thought numbers were. Yeah, well, I mean, while it's essential to recognize the limitations of the small sample size, what I really believe is that this study provides really good insights into potential cardiovascular consequences. And like you said, it's compelling. It serves as a compelling reminder of the serious health risks associated with these substances. And, and I, I'm not going with, you know, 20 to 63%. I'm going 85% of these people are using it. But that's because of how the sport is actually scored now, leaning towards the bigger, the harder, and the freaker yeah. you are, the better you're going to do, right? And that doesn't help. But once again, I'm not against steroid use. Baseball was at its all-time high uh, due to that and the, and the long ball. Uh, football players running over people or having these big hits, it gets, it gets people excited. And then you look at these bodybuilders on stage, and it's impressive, man, and it's awesome to look at, and, and a lot of people admire it. Uh, but there needs to be more of a focus on educating both the bodybuilder and the healthcare professional for promoting healthier practices in order to attain that goal look that you even want on stage. Uh, I, I do believe that further research is, is going to be needed, particularly with larger sample sizes, um, just to better understand the extent of the health risks um, that could be associated with this gear use. Um, but it's really like the way I'm looking at it is maybe this observation precedes the data, right? Like, obviously, that's what happens, but we see something and we can't, like, it's association, it's not causation, right? But it puts it in our head, like, what if, right? And that just yeah. means more of a risk, right? And yeah. so I would rather play it safe. Yes, I agree with you. I think the most important part is to weigh out the risk-benefit ratio, right? And to discuss that with our patients. Ultimately, the patient is going to decide what's best for them. I think as a clinician, my job is to at least inform them um, about the risks um, so that they can make an educated decision about their care. Yeah, so when they actually come and they see you, uh, what other risks do you tell your patients about? Um, so the liver, obviously, um, so a lot of formulations that are oral in particular, uh, for example, the, uh, SARMs or selective androgen receptor modulators, um, you want to be careful with, with, um, your liver. Um, you want to make sure that you're getting regular, um, hepatic panels, uh, lab work essentially to make sure that your liver is looking okay. Um, the kidneys, of course, um, androgens tend to affect the renin angiotensin aldosterone system or RAS. That's um, a mouthful. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, another reason to be monitoring your blood pressure. Um, obviously, the reproductive system um, at an extreme, you can um, suppress hypothalamic function. And depending on how much your use is and how often and um, how extreme it is, um, it may or may not be reversible, depending on, on all of those factors. And I think um, one really underestimated issue that we don't talk about a lot, and to be fair, there's not a lot of data, is um, the brain. So what kind of long-term effects will the brain have, um, given that there's an oxidative stress um, placed on it? Um, are users at risk for dementia, for example? Um, so, you know, we, we do have some early studies um, showing, uh, you know, for example, in 2021, they measured the chronological age um, to the predicted age of the brain of 130 
anabolic steroid users. And these were users that didn't really use for that long. Like um, they had uh, maybe had used for like essentially one year, uh, but they did find an age gap, if you will. So it looked like their, chrono their, their brain age, which was much higher than their chronological age as compared to normals. Again, this is a cross-sectional study. So um, again, not proving causation, but just an observation. Um, but I think it's something that's no noteworthy. Um, and then the other question you know, that arises is what kind of structural brain changes are there? Um, in uh, 2019, another cross-sectional study showed that the use of anabolics had, um, were associated with a thinning cerebral cortex as compared to controls. Again, an associated factor, but still it's pretty compelling um, that uh, use could potentially um, cause um, structural brain changes. Yeah, that's the, honestly, like that's, that's scary. Like one of my fears is to lose brain function and early onset of dementia, it's, it's, that's scary. I mean, I, but it also really interests me um, because it's, it's so, uh, to me, I feel like it's very new. I don't think it's that spoken about that often. I'm not sure if it, how new it is, you know better than me, but could you discuss the potential long-term effects on cognitive function and whether there actually is an increased risk of neurocognitive disorders like dementia? So a lot of um, the uh, studies looking at dementia are mostly in rodents. So it's very difficult to yeah. um, say humans have the th same thing. Again, who's going to volunteer for this kind of study is, is the yeah. first thing. Um, well, so, even if they make it to, to that age, right? Exactly. So, you know, a lot of these bodybuilders that are using this kind of, um, you know, gear, if you will, um, aren't really going to volunteer one for these studies and two, they might not live long enough, um, to see, um, you know, old age. Right. Um, but if, if they happen to, I think it's a, a consideration, right? Because, uh, rodent studies have shown, um, you know, more plaque, uh, beta amyloid, for example, and phosphorylated tau, um, which is associated with Alzheimer's. Um, there's a good review looking at the findings associated with um, with use. However, um, it was published in 2019, um, and they found uh, an impaired pattern of um, recognition in memory tasks and visual spatial memory impairments as well. Uh, they also looked at adolescents who were using, and it seems like the earlier you use, the more severe um, your cognitive. Uh, malfunctioning might be, right? So um, they looked at um, uh, spatial planning efficiency on certain cognitive tests in these teenagers, and they seem to do worse than um, their counterparts who may have started uh, using as adults. Um, there's also some fMRI studies that they talk about in the review. Um, and what they observed on fMRI studies, so these are functional MRI studies that actually look at uh, brain signaling, um, and there are um, there's less signals essentially between the cortical areas and the amygdala. And then we all, um, or at least I think most of us, know that uh, use can be associated with psychological issues as well, um, increased aggression, for example. And, and there have been um, several observational uh, studies looking at that as well. 
Um, so I think at the very, very extreme, if you are using, um, you are immediately at risk for a potential cardiovascular event, either acutely from, from um, an arrhythmia, for example, or even less acute, so a little bit longer term use um, from left ventricular hypertrophy. Um, and then if you live long enough um, and you actually have um, decreased use, um, you, you know, depending on how many cycles you do throughout your lifetime, you're still at risk or potential risk for uh, neurocognition. Um, so I think those are just some of my thoughts that I think uh, patients should be at least aware of um, in order to make some, some decisions about their their health. You're lucky. You're lucky. Lane Norton's not here because he'd be like human randomized control trials. Well, I'm not it. sure how many people would uh, volunteer for that. I don't, of course, I don't think of it course. would. I don't think it would pass the IRB. Um, you no, know, like I, listen. I think data. I think all data should be considered, and if that's what we can do for now, I mean, I think it needs to be considered, plain and simple. Um, but lastly, let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, are there any specific assessments? or screenings that you could tell our listeners that might be able to help detect and maybe even mitigate potential health issues? Well, I think the first and foremost thing is to find a good physician that you feel comfortable enough to actually share um, or be forthcoming about any use that, that might be occurring, right? Because then that physician at least can either give you advice if they feel comfortable with it, or at least refer you out to an, maybe an expert, um, like you, you mentioned, endocrinologist, or, or somebody who um, might be able to um, guide your care uh, um, a bit better so you can make educated decisions about your health care. So I think that's the, the biggest thing. And then, you know, at least make sure that you're getting routine physicals. I mentioned getting a blood pressure cuff, making sure that you're, you know, getting your, taking your blood pressure regularly. Um, but also along with, you know, regular physicals, make sure that there is a focus on the cardiovascular system, the renal system, um, and your liver, right? Any hepatic panels that includes getting um, blood work that might have to do with, with these organ systems, right? Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, one thing when I was looking at these reviews um, done in people who were using, um, one thing they mentioned is that a lot of users are using um, other uh, drugs or other substances. Um, and then the other one that they mentioned is alcohol, right? So you're already um, putting an undue stress on your liver. You don't want to put an extra stress by drinking. Um, so uh, that that just puts... Um, uh, you know, an increased risk on uh, where your liver has to, you know, go into overtime work. Um, I think as far as the cardiovascular system goes, um, I kind of question, uh, you know, whether it might be good to get calcium scores uh, to make sure, you know, that, that your heart and your arteries are in good shape. Um, and that's just looking at the calcium buildup in, in your arteries. Um, and sometimes it can... Um, tease out somebody who might be at risk initially for a cardiovascular event, it can kind of further um, quantify that risk. Oh, yeah. No, that's a lot of great information right there. Um, thanks for that. And hopefully our listeners take your advice. It's only advice if, if they use it. So uh, we're going to wrap this up. So I just want to, on behalf of Balanced Body, say thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Balanced Bodies Blueprint. We are committed to bringing you valuable content. So if you did enjoy today's discussion, We'd greatly appreciate it if you could just take a moment and leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. 
And if you believe in the power of knowledge and want to help others discover the insights that we share, please consider sharing this podcast with your friends, with your family, and even your colleagues, because you never know whose life you might positively impact by just spreading a little word. As always, remember, as you navigate your path to better health, know that Balanced Bodies is forever in your corner. Have a good night, everybody. The podcast content may include discussions of medical topics and health-related information. However, the information provided should not be considered exhaustive or complete, and it should not be relied upon as a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment.